You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. As a really valued listener to the podcast of Arthur and Me, Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, we'd love to offer you 20% discount off all the things on sarahraven.com, not just the things mentioned in this podcast on Perennial Borders. Use the code PODCAST20H, which is relevant until the 2nd of December. Usual T's and C's apply. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Arthur Parkinson, and my good friend, Sarah Raven. On today's episode, I thought it would be really helpful to just talk about some really good stalwart, easy care, low maintenance, but still glamorous and beautiful perennials. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I've got to fill my brother's newly bought garden with these kind of plants. And it's very easy to just be kind of dull when in fact a lot of the traditional cottage garden perennials are actually very resistant and well worth planting. And I know at Perch Hill, in the various beds and borders around the cutting garden, there are things that come back year on year and make the whole place always feel full. Even though they might be not the most glamorous thing, they are a helpful backbone to any garden, regardless of its style. So I know Sarah will know lots of uh, perennials that will be top of her list. Totally, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. My parents had what was known as a self-seeding garden. And so there were lots of things like honesty, like sweet rocket, even actually wallflowers because they were on chalk used to self-seed So and foxgloves, so all those biennials. But then also perennials like the line areas, you know, that one called Cannon Went. And, yeah, um, I love that one. I love that. I, I love its nickname, which is Linaria Came and Went. And there's a wonderful nursery run by Derry Watkins, and I follow her on Instagram. And she mentioned this thing about Linaria came and went, because that's exactly what some of these wonderful perennials do, is that they're there one year, and they've gone from there the next year, but they've gone over somewhere else about three or four meters away, and they mm. came and went. But they haven't actually gone. They've just reappeared somewhere else. And I love that. I love that tall spire in the pink of Canon Went and then the other line area, which is the, that purple one, which I think is just the species. Yeah, you see it in walls, don't you, and things? Yeah, so exactly. And those are marvellous. But I really encourage plants like that. Are there any others that you like in that sort of short-lived perennial brigade? Yeah, I mean, I love acrolegias, but you know, I'm not seeing them as much. No. I know they're being affected by a virus. Mm. But when when we lived in a semi-detached with a bigger garden in Nottingham, we had loads of acrolegias, and they all self-sowed yeah. and cross-pollinated. So we've got a lovely, like, watercolour palette, diluted colours. Yeah. So I love them. And if, if you're doing well with them, I think they're great. But I was in London a few weeks ago walking, I don't, can't remember which part of London, Anyway, there was a house that had clearly been abandoned with a what would have been a very formal lawn, but within all the unmown grass was the perennial sweet pea, mm. which had just gone absolutely crazy. And it, it just looked beautiful, like someone had put the most magenta pink ribbons through the lawn. Mm. And I just thought, wow, what an amazing plant that doesn't necessarily have to climb, but it just loves to spill and snake through everything. And even here in the drought, I've seen it still flower 
uh, really, really well. And actually, that reminds me so much. I was walking through Southeast London the other day, and even though we'd had such a really well, sort of dry but and quite cold winter, and then we've had the drought and everything. There was a salvia hot lips, and I'd taken a photograph of it in December, <laughs> and it was still flowering, looking exactly the same, you know, in the autumn, nine months later. And yeah. I'm actually not overly keen on hot lips. I just find that red-white contrast a bit much. But we've got one here called amethyst lips, which is purple and white, which I think is really handsome and seems to be just as reliable. So I think those small-flowered, small-leaved salvias would have to be included in the self-reliant perennial border brigade, wouldn't they? De- definitely. In fact, um, for my brother's garden, his his girlfriend wants lavender, and I've suggested we do both a lavender hedge and then a hedge quite close to it, of um, genemsis salvias, because they just flower and flower much earlier than the lavenders do, and they carry on flowering. So I I like the idea of them being together. I think they'll do well because it's quite a sunny garden, and as long as they've got free-draining soil, they should do well. Uh, Which lavenders are you going to choose for them? Apparently, according to Dave Golson, who's done huge research on different nectar contents of common garden plants, such as lavender, he recommends lavender gros bleu, which in trials was found to have the highest nectar content. So I'm going to plant a nice row of that because apparently some English lavenders have less nectar content and Spanish lavender has got hardly any nectar in it, according to trials that they've done, I think at Wisley a few years ago that he um, did research in. And then I know you're very passionate about grasses. Well, so am I. So perhaps we could move on to chatting about them. Uh, what's your, your favourite for this time of year and that you'll be putting in your brother's garden? Well, you made me like grasses because you choose the ones that don't look like tumbleweed because you can very easily plant grasses, can't you, that look very tired. Yeah. But the, the stalwart one that you've always had in the cutting garden is the gold notes grass, uh, Steepa Gigantia. Yeah. Beautiful. Which is fabulous and incredibly tall and elegant. But the newer one that we both love and pick, especially at this time of year in the autumn, is the chasmanthium, isn't it? Which yeah. you can grow from seed. It just needs a lot of time to to germinate. So it's a good value for money perennial to grow yourselves in the spring. I love it. I love those elegant, curving, almost like sort of diorama curved stems. And then those literally sort of ironed flat corn sheath kernels that you get on Mm. casmanthium. It's an absolute cracker. And it's a cracker for Christmas wreaths and the Christmas table because it's just so graceful and it dries so beautifully. And with or without paint or spray, um, you know, either au naturel or with a, a bit of paint, they, they just stand out and are truly elegant and graceful, I think. And I love good old yeah. breezer too. And um, funnily enough, I was just writing an article about wildflowers this morning and it was my 12 recommended wildflower plants for the garden. Actually, we should do a podcast on that, Arthur. I'll add that to the list. Yeah, we should definitely. And one of my ones uh, that I selected was Breeza media. So not Maxima, which is the annual which we grow here. So that not greater quaking grass, but the slightly smaller Breeza media. And it's perennial, which which is so nice. I mean, media does self-seed, so you'll get it anyway. But I rather love the media because it's even more delicate. And it, it literally every one of the, I don't know what you call them, panicles, uh, looks like a teardrop just hanging on a stem. And mm. I love its name, which is in any little breeze, 
you just see the whole plant quaking. That's why it's called the greater quaking grass. And you don't see the stem move. You just see those teardrop sort of droplets really just wavering and quaking in the, in the wind. I adore it. Well, you've made me want it with that beautiful description, I have to say. <laughs> you made it sound incredibly glamorous. It's a very good plant. It's a very good plant. Mm. And then what about other things you're putting? What Are you putting roses in this garden, self-reliant roses? Yeah, I should give her a name, this girlfriend of my brother, Abby. She likes uh, roses, but the I am a bit concerned because it is very hard sandstone ground. Okay. So I'm not sure how well they're going to do, but I think I'm going to plant them a good row of the lovely metabolis rose that you've made me love because whenever I come to Perch Hill it's always in flower yeah and it's so delicate that even if it looks a bit raggedy it gets away with it because it's just so I don't know like like something fashioned from silk yes so I hope that will establish eventually on the hard soil they've got I adore the other sort of similar very relaxed sort of more border perennial rather than full-on flowery rose variety which is Rosa rubrifolia or Rosa glauca which is that one with the great mm. arching stems with with are very sort of silvery almost like the pattern you get on a on a copper pot that's slightly rusted in the weather it's got that that really yeah. radiant silvery color and I think that's wonderful and it has lovely hips at this time of year but I also would really put the case for a couple of other roses one is Rose de Resch, which is it's a really old China rose, and it's unbelievably healthy. And it, st- it only flowers lightly, but it's rare that when I want to have some roses for the table or by a bedside or whatever, I can't go out. We have three um, little plants of it. It's quite a compact rose. And it's rare between May and November that I can't pick at least one flower head to put in a vase. Wow. Yeah. And so it's it's not prolific and not sort of vigorous, but it's just so long performing. Uh, and never has black spot or mildew in the garden here. So I would really recommend Rose de Resch. I think I think it's a cracker. There's two new ones that I like that you're growing. One's um, the Calendar Girl, mm. which is the most lovely mix of reds and pinks. And it's got a very, I don't know, like Sleeping Beauty fairy tale like face. It's not totally double. You still see the lovely stamens and anthers. But I love that. And I also like Champagne Moment because that seems yes. to be in flower a lot. Yeah, still flowering away now. Two new ones that look quite antique. Yeah, it, it's absolutely right. I would, I would completely agree with both of those as really reliable, good varieties. Great. So we've got roses in this low maintenance garden. Uh, we've got lavender. We've got salvias. We've got linearias. We've got grasses. Anything else in your planting plan that will look after itself? Well, this episode takes me back really to when I um rented a house which had inherited sort of an old-fashioned cottage garden and literally I just mowed the lawn once a month and then in the autumn or early spring I would clear down the borders and I remember the things that seemed to just come back better and bigger were the persicarias Mm. uh, the perennial fashioned ones yeah can't remember the names there was one that was like a candy pink which was quite attractive oh yeah paintbrushes Um, is it the yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah, that came back. Yeah. And lots of Japanese anemones, they seem to oh, just thrive yes. on neglect. Of course. And then you get those lovely seed heads if you leave them standing. And, you know, if you like cosmos, but you can't be bothered to grow your own cosmos, I would definitely just have as many Japanese anemones as I could fit into my garden. 
particularly if you've got dark places, shady places. They do take over a bit. Just little tiny word of warning there is they are wonderful, <laughs> but um, you may end up with a garden with just Japanese and enemies and the perennial pink pea in 20 years. But hey, <laughs> that's, that's good though because someone nice. like my brother who's only got one weekend a year to garden that's going to be helpful yeah <laughs> very good um what about ground cover should we try and think of a few ground cover things i mean i think we would have to say erigeron kavinskianus wouldn't we because that would just yeah, romp all through the paths and in the little crevices that nothing else wants to grow in mm. it's it's just such a cracker yeah, definitely. And I love the ivy-leaved toad flax. Do you know that lovely thing that looks like a miniature, miniature snapdragon? And again, just sort oh, of... Oh, gosh, yeah. That, well, it's a wild plant. I, I was writing about it again this morning. And um, I love the idea of that, just sort of... Has he got any outdoor steps or anything, just softening the edges of his steps? He has, but they've been very solidly recently um, mortared up. Uh, so I'll be interested to see what can manage to get in the uh, yeah. very modern mortar so maybe i'll have to go around with a chisel yeah you will (laughs) pack in a bit of organic matter (laughs) at night (laughs) it's like oh what's that woodpecker out there on the (laughs) Mm. go mad (laughs) and uh, before we finish what about shrubs and trees are you gonna are you gonna recommend any shrubs and trees yeah i mean they've got it's a typical garden where at the back there's really big conifers Ah, okay. But there is a bulb I'm actually going to plant under them, which are the cyclamens, ah. because I've noticed they seem to just be under whatever you put them under. It can be really dark shade, hungry other plants. They just seem to thrive yeah. under huge things in yeah. the dark. So definitely going to get them in. Lovely. Yeah. So hedrofolium for autumn and coom for the spring, isn't it? It's that way around. But you get the leaves alternating too, so you never have a blank spot. My parents have a wonderful swathe that they planted originally with 20 corms under a beech tree, and now there must be 2,000, I would think. I mean, that is 50 years wow. on, but it's they are amazing. And they, they've got this incredible – I love cyclamen for this. They have this amazing capacity where their seeds – are rolled in a spiral that almost looks like the back of a snail's shell, you know, so a perfect sort of spiral. And what happens as they ripen, the the spring pings and it shoots the seed far enough away to not then compete with the parent corm. And I've sort of watched that happening. And also ants come and they and they take out the ripe seeds and scatter them far and wide and that that's how it becomes such a, a brilliant naturalizer those um those two cyclamen cooms and hedrofoliums great anything else going in in here uh, uh, oriental poppies if they like where they are come back every year don't they they do they're very good if you've got if you've got well-draining soil um and then you can just hack them back once they've finished don't you think you need a stake I think if they're within lots of other things, they do. They just come and then they they do collapse a little bit. But yeah, stake stake if you can. But otherwise, don't worry too much. All right, lovely. You've got them within everything else. Very good. And if they collapse, it doesn't matter. Thanks very much for listening to Grow Cookie Arrange. Next week, I'm not here actually, but Arthur is talking about one of our 
absolute favourite subjects, which is growing sweet peas. He's chatting not to me, but to Ursula Cholmerley, who has restored the beautiful Eastern Wall Garden in Lincolnshire, where she grows and selects seeds of lots of wonderful varieties. So definitely listen in next week. As a really valued listener to the podcast of Arthur's and me, Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, we'd love to offer you 20% discount off all the things on sarahraven.com, not just the things mentioned in this podcast on Perennial Borders. Use the code PODCAST20H, which is relevant until the 2nd of December. Usual T's and C's apply. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com.